0: Shashow on Interviewing the Legends at BBS Radio 1. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Interviewing the Legends, brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency. Devoted to promoting musicians and authors worldwide. Call us today at 941-877-1552 to start your free publicity evaluation. Remember, we shine only when we make you shine. Please welcome the host of Interviewing the Legends, music journalist, author, and author. And entrepreneur Ray Shasho.
1: Hello, once again, everyone. I'm your host, Ray Show, and welcome to another edition of Interviewing the Legends on BBS Radio TV, brought to you by The Rockstar Chronicle, Series One. My new book featuring over 45 intimate conversations with the greatest music legends the world will ever know. It's available now at bookbaby.com and amazon.com. Americana rock legend Walter Egan releases New album, Fascination, inspired by a shared history with legendary super groupie Pamela DeBar. Featuring the single Miss Pamela, West Coast country and Americana rock music crossover legend, Walter Egan has released his new album, Fascination, which features 13 West Coast rock slash Americana influenced tracks, all inspired by Walter Egan's shared history. With Pamela DeBar. The first single from the album, Miss Pamela, was released in February. With a mostly undocumented, illustrious backstory in the music business, Walter Egan wrote Hearts on Fire for Graham Parsons and Emmylou Harris and achieved chart success with his solo albums Fundamental Role and Not Shy, which were both produced by his good friend Lindsey Buckingham and with Stevie Nicks singing particularly on his hit single Magnet and Steel. Walter had further hit singles with Full Moon Fire, Only the Lucky and Hot Summer Nights, which Eminem sampled on his We Made You release. Given his impeccable musical degree, pedigree, Walter naturally fell in with the LA County rock scene, playing with Don Henley, Glenn Fry, Linda Ronstadt, Chris Darrow, David Lindley, Joel Shear, and Jackson Brown. And within two years, through a hot night at the troubadour, he secured a record deal from United Artists Records in England. This soon manifested into a six album deal with Columbia Records, US and worldwide. Egan and his band have toured extensively sharing the bill with many legendary bands, including ACDC, Fleetwood Mac, Proco Harem, the Beach Boys, Foreigner, Heart, Kansas, Dave Mason, Tom Planty and the Heartbreakers. Water is played and recorded with Sageworth, Jackson Brown, Randy California Spirit, Wanda Jackson, Chris Darrow, the Flying Burrito Brothers, and the Malibus. You can purchase Walter Egan's Fascination at uh, Amazon.com and also at www.music.apple.com. Please welcome American rock musician, singer, songwriter, best known for his 1978 gold status hit single Magnet and Steel, Walter Egan to Interviewing the Legends. Hello, Walter (laughs) Hello, Ray. It's
2: a mouthful, okay. but uh, always great to hear about it again, just to remind me what I've done. But yeah, you've you've got a few of the legends there on your list as well. I'm uh, I'm glad you finally got around to me here. Appreciate that. Nice well, to
1: meet you. I've been interviewing guys that I've I've interviewed uh, twice, three times. So it's always nice to get a new face. <laughs> Oh,
2: yeah, you know,
1: it's, you
2: know? Uh, it's part of my uh, my mystique.
1: I always loved <laughs> your music. I, I was a top 40 DJ back in uh, 78, 79, when, of course, ah. when your hits came out. Yeah, good job. So. Where was that? In uh, Annapolis, Maryland.
2: Ah, very
1: good. Yeah. The station is now owned by Pat Sajak. He bought the station. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> there you go. that yeah. well, come along or not? You studied at Georgetown. I'm from D.C. originally, and I didn't know you studied at Georgetown. Very yeah, that cool. I F Street
2: uh, reference in one of your books there. Yeah. I was, uh, was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I was at, at Georgetown from 66 to 70, and then I stayed around in that uh, locale until about the end of 72 when I moved up to Boston with Sageworth. But, uh, yeah, D.C. was a happening place to be in those days. There was a great music scene as well as, of course, the crazy politics that were going on. And uh, we, we got to play a number of those demonstrations with that, with, you know, with sage work That uh, It was a cool time to be there, you know. It was, uh, <clears throat> I happened to be a couple of years behind uh, Bill Danoff over mm-hmm. at Georgetown. And so, and of course, he's famous for "Afternoon Delight" mm-hmm. and "Take Me Home, Country Roads." And so, uh, Bill did pretty well for himself with those two tunes. But yeah, it was it was a happy place to be. Um, I lived on Wisconsin Avenue. That's where our our band had a house right at Wisconsin and Q. That's a great place. Great, yeah. yeah Wisconsin's, Wisconsin's famous. famous.
0: I think it's a Thai
2: restaurant now. <laughs> but in those days, it was. Uh, it was one hundred and forty dollars a month rent. <clears throat> so, you know, a seven-piece band. It was pretty cheap for us to live there. And, uh, but I think when we moved out, the you know the little paper that they put out in Georgetown, I think the it's called the Georgetowner. Mm-hmm. Uh, the headline was, "The blight has been lifted from Wisconsin Avenue." So uh, we, you know, our reputation went both ways there. Great music yeah. scene, like you say, yeah. yeah. It really was, and it, yeah. I think in many ways it mirrored what was going on in the West Coast. We were kind of Jefferson Airplane, Buffalo Springfield kind of band. Mm-hmm. Uh, our lead singer was a, a great singer lady named Annie McLoone.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Annie has done a record of her own on RCA, and she's,
3: she's well,
2: she was on Magnet and Steel as well, and she toured mm-hmm. with me later on, toured with uh, Al Cooper. And, uh, she's living in uh, Winona, Minnesota at the moment, mm. uh, but uh, yeah, she's she's quite a legendary figure in those days, and those times, and you know we try to get the band together for class reunions, right? Uh, and uh, you know, <clears throat> play all the oldies for them. Where would you go to high school? I went to high school in New York City in a, okay. a school called Loyola. Right. Um, so it was you know in Georgetown's a Jesuit school also, yep. so it, it kind of. You know, in those days, it was like, "Oh, well'll just go to Georgetown, so, "Oh, okay, No, basically, my high school band, which was called the Malibus, which mm-hmm. you alluded to um, we everybody but our bass player um went to Georgetown, so you know really? keeping oh. the band intact by coming down there, yeah, you know, I grew up in Queens, I was, mm-hmm. In the same town as uh, Joey Ramone. I think we lived on the same block for a long time. Really? Of course, I oh. was there a few years before him. And uh, there's a guy here in Nashville. I live in Franklin, Tennessee now. I've been okay. Here for 20 years. But um, there's a guy named Chris Gantry mm-hmm. who wrote a song called the, the Dreams of an Everyday Housewife in like the early 60s for Glenn Campbell. Mm-hmm. And he and I signed to a publishing company. Um, a few years back, and got to find out that uh, we both lived on a very, you know, specific section of Burn Street and Forest Hills. Not only that, but my, the girl who I admired from afar, when I was in seventh and eighth grade, lived like across the street from him. And she had this really, really good looking older sister. And <laughs> oh, Chris wow. is like five <laughs> years older than me. So he had gone out with her it was just a crazy you know circuit completed you know many many years after the fact so uh, yeah you know loyola was a pretty good school it was a it was a very small school so you got a chance to do a lot and get, you know get to know your teachers pretty well yep i uh, i played 4 years varsity baseball and basketball there oh wow far so yeah, awesome. yeah captain captain of the varsity baseball team really um huh. I, I thought for a while i had you know some thoughts about trying to play right professionally but in those days professional baseball players didn't really make that much money anyway they had to get true and kind of off season jobs this was, the late, 60s, was the late 60s actually and so yeah and i also was the editor of the literary magazine so i was kind of in both camps and my coach used to always tell me to cut my hair, and he'd say, "Egan, hey, you—you you, know—are you on the team or are you in the band?" <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I was both. In the basketball games, I'd go down for the—you uh, the, know—the pep talk at halftime. Then I would run up to the gym in my uniform, join the band in the corner, put the guitar, put my strat on, and they'd play. You know, you know, let's go and. The Knights are coming in. We're with the Knights instead of the, the Saints are coming. In. Yeah, it was, a, it was a fun time. It was a fun time to be there.
1: So you had the best of both worlds. I I was going to try out for the high school baseball team. So I, I, I did a lot of uh, boys club baseball. I did that for like sure. six or seven years. Right. And my hair was quite long, very into rock and roll. All I want to do is go to concerts and party. So yeah. I said, no. Yeah you know, I, I said, no, nah, I'm going to commit myself to rock and roll. So I didn't, I didn't go that way. I kind of regret it a little bit now. <laughs> well, I made that step when I moved off to college. Yeah. It was like
2: the coach's, you know, voice in my head going, you know, are you going to do team? And I was thought, yeah, man, I'm going to do art. Yeah. I was an art major at Georgetown. Just cool. Cool. something fairly unusual, at least in those days. A what gutter.
1: position did you play in
2: baseball? I was a pitcher for the most part. Really? Oh, man. And then when I, you know, and I used, I've actually at one time or another played every position, but second mm-hmm. base, but yeah, pitching was my forte. And then, you know, to save myself, I would sometimes play first base mm-hmm. in high school. And yeah, no, I had a pretty killer curve ball and a great drop ball. Mm-hmm. I, uh, didn't need any of this uh, spider tech stuff that they're, talking about i don't know if you're following baseball these oh, days yeah. But yeah it's really difficult to uh, to relate what's going on today to what it really was oh it is you know, it's like yeah. come on just do <laughs> you know use your spit or not even that you know it's like <laughs> a little dirt it was like everything has gone crazy now and all all of the all of the uh, you know our i what i can't I don't even know what they are it just it it frustrates me to watch a baseball game now and and they're, oh, launch velocity and all this. I mean,
3: it's yeah.
1: Jesus. Give me you crap. know what I hate? The pitch count. Leave it's the not, guy alone. If he's pitching good, leave him in there. Who cares about the pitch count? <laughs> you know? I was inspired by, you know, Sandy Koufax, Don
2: Drysdale, right. and, you know, and I grew up, first game I ever went to as a kid was mm-hmm. a. Dodgers-Yankees World Series game in 1956 wow. at Ebbets Field. In fact, it was the game, yeah, the game just before the one that happened in Yankee Stadium when Don Larson pitched the perfect game. Perfect game.
1: Perfect game. And,
2: yes. and so, uh, yeah, you know, growing up in New York in those days you had mm-hmm. three teams and you had the family split along team lines and my grandmother was a big Dodger fan and my, my parents were more giants mm. and I was you know, I like the Yankees. It was, yeah, it was. Uh, it was uh, you know, baseball was a big part of our lives then. Yeah, it seemed like it was uh, important stuff. And now, it's just whiny millionaires. And right. I really loved the Ken Burns series that the, the mm-hmm. baseballers. They mm-hmm. just ran it again here.
1: Oh, did they? Uh, huh. Yeah.
2: And so I, I enjoyed that uh, kind of counterpart to trying to watch. A game, you know, and they're touting Clayton Kershaw mm-hmm. as the other, the next Koufax, and yeah. he just is not. He's a left-hander, okay, but
1: no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Two of my favorite pitchers are not in the Hall of Fame, which makes me very mad. Dave McNally and Mike are I mean, oh, yeah. this guy's 20-game winners every year, and the Orioles <laughs> were the only
2: –
3: Your Baltimore game... roots are showing.
1: Four 20-game winners – in one year, I mean, who has yeah. ever done that? You know,
2: yeah. the Orioles were a juggernaut, man, yeah. under Earl Weaver in those days. Jim yeah. Palmer was out there and great man, team
1: back worked. then. Yeah, They really yeah. were Brooks Robinson, Brooks Boog, Frank. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did you yeah. ever go to a Senator game back in the RFK? Or no, but I did go to the
2: Ted Williams baseball camp when I was fourteen and just going into high school. And Ted was there then. Mm-hmm. That was after he had been the manager of the Senators. For senators, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he uh, he was a, a real revelation for me
3: mm-hmm. to
2: to listen. I was I made the All Star team, and we went to Boston and played a Jimmy Fun game. Wow. You know that he man he was the manager sure. of the team, <clears throat> and uh, I served as a relief pitcher in that game. But uh, I got to sit next to him on the bench, and he was person <clears throat> a blue streak at the umps and at everybody it was like words i had never heard before it
1: was crazy it was yeah like, wow
2: it's important stuff man. we have
1: something in common i spent two hours with ted williams we had businesses in dc and he walks in and he bought a couple of shortwave radios for me but you're you're right i mean he's like john wayne he's like a yeah. real life john wayne and yeah. he asked me he says, "Son." When do you close your store? Because it, it was closing time. I says, I says, Mr. Williams, I close when you're done. He says, Well, God damn it, you should be a goddamn politician, son. <laughs> That's the way you talked. He did. It was great.
2: Yeah, he was a real he was a real character. He, yeah. You know, I was I was not much of a Red Sox fan ever, even though I lived up there for a while. And. Yeah.
1: Well, you're a Yankee fan. That's why.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then that Dodger fan too. When I moved to the West coast, I yeah. kind of adopted them during those years. But nowadays, I
1: don't know. It's, it's just harder and harder. To, to Walter, you know up. what you need to do? I did this. You need to do one of those fantasy camps.
2: You yeah. got
1: to do it. I bet you're, you're still in great shape too. Yeah. Oh, well, more like or pitch.
2: It. I think I can still pitch, you know, yeah. I, that's what. Been, for years after I stopped playing, Every you can,
3: spring. You
1: got to do it. Do it the yeah. Yankees. I can
2: still do this. I can do it. Come back of the century.
1: I did it with the Orioles in 1990. And the year after, Joan Jett did it with the Orioles. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, you got to do it. You're in good shape, yeah. man. Yeah. No, that would be fun. That would be yeah. fun. Well, I want to talk about fascination, man. Five stars. I love the album. Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
2: It did. Uh, um, it's a funny thing, the way that that album materialized. Yeah. Um, I had my, uh, my years of trying to woo Miss Pamela. <laughs> and th- those were a few years ago. This was uh, mm-hmm. My daughter was about to move to California, and she came into my room just as we were about to leave for California about a few days before. And she said, now, don't get this wrong, Dad, but I really like this book. Mm-hmm. And she was like 19, 20 years old at this time. And of course, it was I'm with the band, right? And I and I was like, oh, you know, that's really funny. I think I'm Facebook friends with her. I met her a few years ago when mm-hmm. we were doing some Graham Parsons things, and uh, sure enough, I was. And I I said, hey, we're coming out there, and she said, well, come on by. I'm just been having a, what she called a groupie couture sale. You know her? She goes to thrift markets and, and buys cool old things, and then. Cleans them and sells them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we went there and uh, and she was a very personable and a very sweet uh, lady. Who, you know, I was aware of her illustrious <laughs> past, but I wasn't like obsessed with it in any number of ways. I would just, you know, I thought she was kind of cute in those days. Right. You know, but when I met her this, time, I was like, wow, this is interesting. Because my wife and I had uh, divorced in 2004, mm-hmm. and she is 11 years younger than me. So I kind of mm-hmm. always skew myself younger than I am. And, uh, and to meet a woman who's basically two months younger than me,
3: mm-hmm.
2: that I was being feeling attracted to, was, was an unusual thing for the, the lonely guy that I had developed into in my years of bachelorhood, my enforced bachelorhood of later years. You look Um, great. You look great. I I appreciate that. I'm happy that, uh, that, uh, well, I'm happy I still got my hair. What can I say? (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's definitely, it helps out in this business. (laughs) Anyway, um, so yeah, we went out there, we met her and, and you know, and one thing led to another and I started to uh, think about it and, on the way home, I started writing the first. So the one thing about that album is those songs are in chronological order, mm-hmm. so it's it it traces the arc of my my relationship, which most of which occurred in my mind. After <laughs> I, I would go to California for a week or two, have a chance to be with her maybe a couple three days, right, and then come home for months and get obsessed. <laughs> I kept writing these songs, thinking, well, this this will win her over i'll write <laughs> the song in for <clears throat> and that's what i did for a couple of years there wow. and and uh, ultimately it didn't quite work out but you know songwriter's revenge is when you get to put sure. it out in an hour exactly and yeah. uh, and then be on her podcast talking about it awesome so, <laughs> yeah i mean we became friends she, my daughter actually wound up renting her spare room for a couple of years really and so, you know, yeah, I would see her every time I'd go to California. And then it got, you know, it was after, after she told me that she had lost her libido, it was mm. when things started to cool off on my side. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> there's something <laughs> terribly ironic for me to, uh, to have that moment with the woman who's so linked to her Sexual past, exactly. Exactly. Tell me that that she has lost that. I mean, i maybe mean, she was just letting me down in a, in a in a kind way or something.
1: Or she was but, just worn out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> could be. There you go. <laughs>
3: probably sure. Uh,
1: yeah. No. It it
2: it was a monumental irony that I had to deal with there. Yeah. It sort of comes through sort of about two thirds <laughs> of the way through the album. And then I had to deal with my natural obsession to n- not let go of these women who I'm thinking I'm in love right, with. Right, right. I actu- actually, this summer, I've given myself the task to write my memoir.
1: That's a good idea.
2: And, and so I've written the whole thing hand yeah. written. Now I've been typing it into the computer. Mm-hmm. And it there's a trend that I've noticed in my relationships with women that I tend to not end it very very cleanly you know right, it right. just kind of leans over and it yeah. hangs on for months even years even huh. you know I mean and and I think I've made a career out of writing songs about unrequited relationships, <laughs> with semi-famous women I mean of course Magnet and
1: Steel was famously about Stevie Stevie and yeah. my yeah, but who hasn't had a crush on Stevie? Come on! <laughs> well,
2: I, but, you know, I think I was there early on And the yeah. rest, That's the thing. Yeah, and uh, I'm just a footnote in her book, but she's a mm-hmm. whole chapter in mine. You know,
1: but, sure, uh, definitely.
2: Not <clears throat> but yeah, you know, it, it. In some ways, it's all fodder for for mm-hmm. new songs. You know, and, and I've never stopped writing yeah. through the years. You know, people always just think of those first two albums, but. I did the I did four out of the six albums mm-hmm. for Columbia, mm-hmm. and after they didn't promote the last two, after Not Shy, we got out of that deal, and uh, then I got a deal with Tom Petty's label, Backstreet Records, mm-hmm. distributed right. by MCA, and uh, the guy who ran that, a guy named Danny Bramson, mm-hmm. who had been running Universal Amphitheater for years before that, right? He. In me, he saw an opportunity to show that he could make a hit record, other than a Tom Petty record. And for me, it was an opportunity to show that I was I was really a rocker and not a crooner like Magnet and Steel. Yeah, a lot of people to definitely. Believe. So you know, it was a very symbiotic relationship, and we were able to nudge my song "Full Moon Fire" up into the top forty. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the ugliness of, of record label politics yeah. reared its ugly head again. And uh, the, the presidency of MCA came up for grabs.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Danny wanted it, but so did Irving Azov. It became a kind of bitter struggle through the months of, of Full Moon Fire climbing the charts. Right. And then the uh, promo man... I love the promo business. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> the ugly uh, side of you know. That's the dark side of the record business that you don't know, really, yes, yeah. all the time, or at least you try not to. Um, a guy named Dino Barbas telling you, "Oh man, I got all the stations in my pocket, and uh, it's never going to lose its bullet. We're going all the way." Well, of course, the next week, one of those stations must have fallen out of his pocket, and. uh, And it lost its bullet that Mm -hmm. coincided with Irving taking over uh, at MCA, stripping Backstreet of its independent status, making decisions for the label and, you know, quite frankly, saying to me, well, this record is over. And I was meeting with him and I'm like, Irving... Magnet steel lost its bullet and it got all the way to top 10. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Walter, you don't understand this record is over. And I'm, I did understand that I was Danny's pet project. Mm-hmm. And so he couldn't allow me to succeed because of this things that Danny had said about him. It's crazy. Yeah. And of course now he is my, my good friend, Lindsay's manager. Yeah. Which is Another kind of irksome thing for me.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and even mm-hmm. worse than that, though, is the fact that he just bought this restaurant, which is my favorite restaurant oh, in called Apple Pan, yeah, in uh, Westwood. And so mm-hmm. I have to eat there with kind of, <laughs> with extra salt. On my <laughs> so uh, yeah, and so um, I have those five albums, and then of course that ended the Backstreet uh, yeah. relationship and that was 84 85 we started recording another record planning to sell it to the next label that we had right. to deal with and that never materialized I in the meantime i got married and my son came along and mm-hmm. just kind of got distracted with that i used yeah. to play i kept playing in la i had a couple of different groups that i played with but uh you know, I never stopped writing through all mm-hmm. that time and trying to record. I had a, you know, a publishing deal with Brian Ferry's publishing mm-hmm. for a while. Right. You know, I bring the songs in and they go, "This is a great song, but I can't imagine anybody but you singing it." He's like, "Well, give me a deal." And yeah, you know, sure. So that went on, and uh, and then uh, when I moved to Nashville, I put out uh, an album called Alternative. Mm-hmm. Which uh, was, uh, you know, the collaborations that I had done since I moved here in '98. Meanwhile, a label here called Renaissance Records wanted to put out those recordings that we stopped back in '85. And so that became the Lost album. Mm-hmm. And then in England, it became the Mad Dog album, which was put out by Red Steel, mm-hmm. a label which kind of was then and then they went away for a number of years <clears throat> and then they materialized again as the uh, as the quarantine started i had a dream about the man who's in charge of that label and i sent him a text saying hey you know i had this funny dream about you that you had a helicopter outside your apartment mm-hmm. anyway he got back to me and said well i've started the label up again and and Okay, little backstory. I had seen him in Liverpool when we did a okay. gig there in uh, 2019, right. and gave him a bunch of my CDs. You know, you never know. Mm-hmm. And sure. of course, it paid off because he said, "What's this Pamela album?" And I said, "Oh well, that's funny, you know." And I told him the story of it. And He said, "This is like a concept album. This yeah. is great. Anybody can relate to this. this sure. I want to put this out." And so I've had the illusion of a career through this. Quarantine,
3: mm-hmm.
2: where there haven't been really gigs except mm-hmm. online things, and uh, and sure enough, it came out in England in February, and it's now being, you know, put out over here, and so, you know, you just never know.
1: You never
2: know, <laughs> but, okay. uh, but yeah, it's a recording. I did these recordings in my home studio. Mm-hmm. My great drummer Ronnie Krasinski, who has played with everybody from Sheena Easton to Seals and Crofts to the Everlys mm-hmm. um, he's just a great great guy and a great drummer and so and then i did basically all the rest of the stuff on the album um the last three songs on fascination are kind of the
3: mm-hmm.
2: post-mortem of it all it's like it, it all happened but i still wasn't over it and so these are the songs that <laughs> i was like singing to myself saying you know get over it you know get a little self-respect yeah. why don't you give up on this and then you can see the title of the last song is called
3: Hell, I know it's, oh, it's over. over.
2: <laughs> <laughs> which, which I wrote with this wonderful woman who's a songwriter named Beth Sass. Mm-hmm. She, um, she and I have re- recorded and uh, written quite a number of songs. We put out a, an EP called Webs mm-hmm. about two, or three years ago. Right, she's really good. Um, but yeah, she played piano on that track. Uh, other than that,
1: I played all the instruments on the album. Incredible. So, I want to break yeah, down some G- of the tracks on the album. Uh, first of all, Miss Pamela, the official video. It's on YouTube. It should be a top 40 hit if things were normal again. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty catchy tune. It's and, a great song, man. And of
2: course, you know, that's how she's known in the GTOs, Miss Pamela. Exactly. So I grabbed onto that. And of course, I'm with the girl. I'm, I'm with, with the girl. I'm with the girl. I, you know, I, yep. but, yeah, you know, when I listened to that album, there were very specific moments, because as I said, I would see her in these little episodes, mm-hmm. I would go out to do shows with the Malibus out on the West Coast, right. visit my daughter, and uh, things would happen or not between me and Pamela, and then I'd come home and write a couple of songs about it, and
1: they, they accumulated that way, it was kind of funny. The music is awesome. The Fruit of Fascination um, is also another favorite of mine. Thank Lovers you. has a great intro. A um, little bit of psychedelic guitars is what I hear.
2: You know, I'm uh,
1: the sum of all my parts. You know, yeah. I, I played a lot of that stuff. I did,
2: you know, San Francisco music in the 60s, late 60s. Sure. Very inspirational to me.
1: But you know what song blew me away? Yeah. Treat Me Nice. Oh, <laughs> my God. What a great version of the, the, yeah. um, the Elvis tune, man. You, you know,
2: that yeah, uh, was one of her favorites and one of my favorites. Is that thought, right? Well, if this doesn't clinch the deal, I'm not going <laughs> to <with it."> well, <laughs>
1: put done.
2: It, I should have put yeah. on a Mickey Mouse head. like Because you know, <laughs> she's also crazy about Mickey Mouse. Really? And, uh, yeah. Really? <laughs> that was, The same night I learned about her loss of libido. Oh gosh! <laughs> I, I took pictures of her because they had the characters you know mm-hmm. that walk around disneyland and yeah. she was like crazy for the mouse and it was like <laughs> why can't that be me you know envious of mickey mouse you well, know maybe you
1: should wear that, the ears that's <laughs> a good idea <laughs> well you know I, big
2: one you there know, you go that, i've
1: been keeping hidden under all this hair <laughs> Yesterday, forever, and today sounded uh, a lot like the birds to me. You know, it was sort of a big inspiration as well. Yeah. Um, Fantastic trip. course, led into the Graham
2: Parsons thing. I exactly. Was, you know, when the birds were a psychedelic folk rock band, mm-hmm. I was heavily into them. And then all of a sudden, they sideswiped us with this record, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, which was unapologetically country music in, mm-hmm. in 1968 country music and hippies didn't really go together very well. It was right. a very, very polarized time, um, even, well, not quite as much as it is today, <laughs> but, but certainly a prelude to this. And uh, it, uh, it took a little bit of, uh, you know, wait a minute. I love this band. i better listen to this. And then getting into it and then noticing <clears throat> who's this Graham Parsons guy? hmm and he was a mysterious character for a number of years. Whenever I'd meet anybody from L.A., I would go, who is Graham Parsons? What's right. he doing? Why did he do that to the band? Anyway, then the Flying Burrito Brothers came along and mm-hmm. I got to realize who he was and became a big fan. We were playing that Sageworth band. We were playing in the same circuit as Emmylou Harris mm-hmm. in Georgetown. Yep. And I was there the night that Chris Hillman came in. And approached Emmy about singing with his friend Graham, and Emmy had no idea who Graham Parsons was. So I was just the right person to, to show her because I was fairly obsessed with him at that point. Mm-hmm. And I played Gilded Palace of Sin and then Sweetheart right. of the Rodeo, and and then he came to town like the next day or so, and um, I made our house available for their woodshedding together to see how their voices were. Mm-hmm. So the first time they sang together was in my kitchen, and I was the only wow. one there listening, and
1: cool it
2: was quite a thrilling moment, you know. And of course, you know, if we had the technology of today in those days, that would have been all documented, and it would have I been, know. you know, but the, right now it only lives in my brain, mm-hmm. and it, on the pages of this book that I'm writing. And, but uh, but Graham, you know, oozed charisma in those days. Uh, this was he was on a positive note in those days. And then I got to see him toward the end when they were on the road and he was in some kind of a demonic vortex <laughs> that it just, you know, he was not seeing the world in the same eyes yeah. that he had in those days. But but then it was, you know, it was really sweet and really great. And, and I was inspired to write uh, this song, Hearts on Fire. Mm-hmm. As I started to get more serious about country music, but even so, the first uh, draft of the lyrics of that it uh, mentioned, you know, like heartburn and doctor, give me some acid kind of thing. It was like I couldn't quite get the tongue out of my cheek. Mm-hmm. So my my buddy who was playing bass for a band, Tom Geiderer,
3: mm-hmm.
2: said, "No, you know, it's a pretty good song. Let's see if we can make it serious." And so he. Right. Moved out some of the lyrics Emmy brought it to Graham and he, and he liked it a lot. In Mm. fact, he liked it so much. He sent me a a set of lyrics that he wanted me to write music to. Right. And uh, I did that just as he passed. So that was, uh, I consider that the last Graham Parsons song, it's called Carolina Calypso. And that's on a burritos record that I recorded called sound as ever. It's also on another, there's another band that I played with that you didn't mention called Brooklyn Cowboys. Okay. Uh, Brooklyn Cowboys was a band that I put together with Richard Perry's brother, Fred Perry. Right. And uh, a legendary pedal steel player mm-hmm. named Buddy Cage. <clears throat> and we put out a couple of uh, CDs around the turn of the century. And uh, it, uh, we did a good version of Hearts on Fire mm-hmm. on there, as well as Carolina Calypso. So, yeah, you know, that was, in many ways, he was kind of my last idol in the music business before I kind of stepped up and started doing it and realized these were all just human beings and not some kind of idols on pedestals. Right,
3: right.
2: Their songs might have been that way, but when you got to know them, it was like, oh, really? That's you. You know, and so, you know, it was a great... The jumping off point for me to uh, to have that uh, those encounters with him because i I drove him around when they were in Boston mm-hmm. We were living up there when she Emmy uh, Lou and he were doing those shows and yeah he was he was in a rather depressed state of mind i don't know what what it was, but uh, mm. you know,
1: he had those demons look at all the nineties uh, grunge and you know just rock guys had have committed suicide i mean that I know, shocks I know. the hell out of me man success yeah. ruins
2: another man oh my <laughs> god like, you know you're doing this you become huge like i mean kurt cobain is an, unbelievable
1: amazing. you
2: know yeah
1: i talked to his manager he had no idea that it was coming you know yeah yeah
2: I can't help but think that there might have been a big element with with his wife on some of that i mean yeah i know you
1: you know
2: (laughs) that's another element that i've been writing about is yeah are you better off with with a woman who's doing the same thing you are or completely divorced from that and has nothing to do with your business
3: yeah
2: you know it uh, it it's it's there's no easy answer to that either isn't. I mean, when it's there good is. and you're both doing the same thing it's amazing right you know and and on the other hand when they're not a part of your life then it's almost somewhat empty because they can only appreciate it from exactly. the outside, you know so yeah yeah so i don't know yeah but uh the, the uh, country song in reverse for me of course is that like, four years ago, my ex-wife moved back in. <laughs> so <clears throat> we're living together again. Are you really? Oh, yeah. And, wow. so, and She's, of course, a little irked <laughs> at this Pamela album because... And I said, hey, you know, I never thought we were going to be back together. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um,
2: you know, you
3: were and there's
1: together. no libido there, so don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> <The> missing libido. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, that is... Yeah. <laughs> Two other songs on the album. Um, Pride. You know what that sounds like? The beginning sounds like the box tops, the letter. Oh, wow. <laughs> cool. It's just got that same show. beat, you know? Yeah, that's
2: true. I never thought of that. But uh, I yeah. just did a show with Gary Talley of the box tops. Really? How about that? Yeah, there's a station out of Jackson, Tennessee called Cool 103, Mm-hmm. The cavalcade of stars. That's the <laughs> one with that Lance Hoffman at from Orleans was right. a house band, and um, yeah, it, uh, it, it's a crazy show. But but Gary is great, and, and I love yeah. the Box Tops. In fact, my drummer on Fascination is now the drummer for the Box Tops. Really? So <laughs> yeah, you picked out something there that uh, that I wasn't yeah. aware of, and I think you,
3: you nailed oh.
1: it. And Gestures uh, sounds a little bit like Nick Lowe and Elvis Costello in a way, you know? I mean, they were my it, peers. You, my can, peers. you can identify with every track on this album. It's, it's five stars, man. I love it. You know, right. I'm going to promote the hell out of it. I appreciate that. That's <laughs> you know, it's uh,
2: somewhere between uh, retro and uh, I don't know what. You know, I mean, I... The woman who I wrote that last song with, Beth, mm-hmm. uh, she was always bugging me. You got to get Pro Tools. You got to at least get right. Logic. You got to right. come on, get modern. Because I recorded those on a Boss sixteen hundred standalone hard disk recorder. That while it is digital, feels very analog to me, and it's very, you know, relatable as to my experience. So she was always bugging me to. Get modern, and, and so I felt <laughs> a little vindicated as this album came out, and, and it, it seemed to be all right. The aesthetics of it, so yeah, you know, I've got a ton of more that I recorded over these years. Oh, than, good, 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 Robert. I mean, we've been, talk, we've been talking about at least four albums worth of stuff that uh, good that's in the can, as they say. <clears throat> what about touring? And that's something I'm looking forward to. But uh, the summer of 2019, before all this went down, mm-hmm. um, I was part of a tour called Rock the Yacht. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yep. and of course, uh, it's a new thing now. Well, that's the thing. It's a funny yep. thing. how the Rebranding yep. of the music of the mid 70s mm-hmm. and 80s has uh, taken hold. There's a band out of Atlanta called the Yacht Rock Review. Mm-hmm. that got in touch with me. Oh, God, 10 years ago now, at least. Um, about doing shows and they're a cover band but they have the actual artists come in and, and perform with them Robbie Dupree does a lot of those shows of uh, Peter Beckett and mm-hmm. Elliot, um, <clears throat> people who are I'm sure you've met and talked to already yep um, they uh, they're a great band and, and, mm-hmm. and really do pull off the record sounding like the records you know mm-hmm. and so that, and he told me that they came, the Yacht Rock came from this weird, this, uh, there's a weird uh, series of videos called Yacht Rock on YouTube
3: mm-hmm.
2: by Hollywood Steve. And they talk about the smooth music. of, And they have these really cheesy kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's supposed to be uh, Christopher Cross, supposed to be, um, you know, it's supposed to be all these Kenny Loggins, right. C- and they sort of make a tongue-in-cheek illustration of how songs came to be. And the first one is uh, you know they're going to throw um, Michael McDonald out of the Doobie Brothers because he hasn't written a hit for them in a while. <laughs> and, and so that's the that's the big crux of the, of the episode. They, they last maybe ten minutes. These little episodes, yeah. and and they go and. Anyway, someone happens to say the phrase, you know, well, "What a fool believed." Mm-hmm. And you see, he goes, "Ah," <laughs> you know, here's the moment of enlightenment, and he starts <laughs> to write the song, and everything ends up happily at the end. And it's a really funny, as I say, satirical piece, mm-hmm. sort of making fun, but gently, you know, mm-hmm. making fun of this music. Mm-hmm. And uh, they took it for to seriousness, and they, they grabbed yeah. that. And from there, I'm pretty sure out of that is where their this new genre came. And it's like it's like playing at a frat party when you play yeah. with them. every they draw you know five six thousand people at Piedmont Park in Atlanta, right. Yacht Rock Review, and you know half of them wearing the cap the captain's hats, mm-hmm. the floating hats. It, it it's just a big party. It's it's and it is great music. You know when you put great it all music. together like that. Yeah. And this band pulls it off. And so they've drawn a big following. And then I guess it evolved into this other thing. And then the promoter switched the words to rock the yacht instead of yacht rock. Right. And that was, that was with a, a tour with Ambrosia as the house right. band right. doing, of course, all their great songs. Um, Stephen Bishop, mm-hmm. Peter Beckett, Elliot Lurie. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Fort Coley John Fort Cole. I've so, had all
1: those guys on. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I, I know you have Joe Puerto. <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah, it's been a great uh, revival on that level. But of course, you know, uh, to me that's like a victory lap of some sure. sort. You do it four is. songs, and then you yeah. go back to a nice hotel room, and they pay you that's handsomely. Yeah, it's great. Fun. Yeah. But what I really do is write songs and try to make new music and stuff. Right. I, you know, I think Fascination is maybe the 14th album I've put out. A couple mm-hmm. of them re-released, you know, that uh, the Lost album was just remastered again and re-released by Red Steel. They're, as, they're, as they did the Fascination mm-hmm. release, they also re-released a song. Well, I tried to have, like, funny titles for a while. I thought well, alternative was sure. kind of funny. And then the next one I put out was called Apocalypso Now, Mm-hmm. Which uh, you know, <laughs> uh, had uh, many of the tracks that I recorded for Alternative that didn't make that album. Uh, are are, then, are
1: you are you open to doing these cruises on Yacht Rock? I mean, they got. Well, be- you
2: know, I've uh, stayed away from boats <laughs> as much as possible, uh, and it's funny because this Yacht Rock thing, but. Yeah. Uh, they're gonna call you. You know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose. Yeah. I, I've got friends who've done it, and they said it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hurricanes and and air's disease and now COVID. yeah, COVID. I don't know, but I, I guess it'd be all right. Kids stuck were, at sea. Big boats. You know, <clears throat> my uncle used to have a like a twenty-six foot cabin cruiser out of <laughs> Freeport, Long Island. Mm. And so we used to spend summers out there with that, and then you know. It's not like I'm seasick. It's just I don't know. But but yeah, if they offer me something like that, I probably would take it at this yeah, point. Yeah, be
1: fun. Um, See all your your old and, friends. and I am trying to tour behind
2: this fascination album. Good, good. Um, it's just that come to Florida. To start <laughs> well, yeah. You know, I played. Yeah. It was, was it was it Clearwater where we did that Rock the Yacht thing last year? I think
1: Ruth Eckerd, Ruth Eckerd Hall. Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah. Fun.
2: Yeah, and the Dali Museum down there. Yeah, yeah. I love that. We that's got interesting. That. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, sure, you know, I could uh, get into that.
1: All right. I got to ask you about a rumor that's been going on for years. You probably know what I'm going to ask you. Were um, you asked to join Fleetwood Mac? <laughs> <laughs> um, technically, I never was. No. Okay.
2: Um, there was some talk amongst myself and stevie Mm -hmm. when he was leaving the band yeah um about it and i don't know i i was kind of reluctant to do it It, you know i mean on one level it's great Mm -hmm. another level i feel like it would kind of wipe out my solo stuff and i felt i felt like that
1: was important to maintain so yeah yeah it it never seriously came to it No. You would have been perfect in the band. You would have been kind of like Bob Welch, you know? I think so, too.
2: I think so, too. I, you know, I had a band with Mick Fleetwood's
1: wife or ex-wife for a while. Really? Sarah, Sarah (laughs) Fleetwood. And he's a really good singer, too. Are you still friends with Lindsey Buckingham? I
2: think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Last time we really communicated was when he had that heart episode.
1: Yeah.
2: it one of our running jokes through the years has been our parallel lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, his band Fritz was very much a parallel to Sageworth. Annie McLean's birthday fell within two weeks of Stevie's birthday. You know, my middle name is Lindsay, all this weird stuff that, you know, our musical influences of the Beach Boys and the Kingston Trio. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, you know, we, we very much overlapped in a Venn diagram that has a big wide center, but, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I got in touch with him and I, and I kind of jokingly said, you know, why are you imitating me now with this heart thing? Because I had had an open heart surgery in oh, uh, 2015. Um, I actually was going, I got, so, you know, I qualified for Medicare and went to see why my hip was hurting. And I said, oh, you need a new hip. All right. Yeah. I went and took the physical Five days later, I was at Vanderbilt and they were cutting me open. Oh, to do a God. You know, it was it was all very fast and very. Uh... Walter,
1: I got to tell you, the last three guys I interviewed all had open heart surgery. Tommy Rowe, John uh... Hall, and now you. I can't believe this. What is going on <clears throat> here, man? <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it comes with the territory i'm scared, when, I'm scared. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah well you know they do ma- magic things now with, yeah you know, they do uh, whatever drugs they use to knock you out boy they sure do knock you out it's yeah. you know i have no conscious memory after kind of being wheeled in and kind were of you going,
1: in oh, any pain afterwards after the surgery not, no not really no really?
2: The, whatever pain started when the medication started to run out, you know, a month and a half after the surgery and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then it was one of these controlled substances and it was like, yeah, well, you really shouldn't take, take some, take some Tylenol. It's like, Oh right, no. Right. And so you start to worry about it, but no, I didn't really have any. And in fact, I had no symptoms that I was aware of before a fact I had a 98% blockage, but I was just, going along like hey this is the way how'd,
1: how'd you how'd you find out
2: i took the physical to get my hip done okay
1: and, okay and okay. then they
2: sent me to vanderbilt to get my heart done oh my i got gosh, the hip yeah. done about two months after that or three months i guess and uh, and so the hip is holding up um and uh, the heart seems to be all right too you know right. now right. i'm a little more conscious of it mm-hmm. you know i but i walk every day a couple of miles good and, for you uh, yeah yeah you know i try to I, I still don't eat crazy, you know, intense health food or anything, but I'm kind of aware of salt, and I I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I do what I think is best, but who knows? I mean, I made it this
1: far. <laughs>
2: the rest is gravy, it seems like. Oh, you point. look
1: great, you know? I mean, did, were you a smoker or anything? Oh, well, you know,
2: I've had my vices through the years. So, uh, yeah, but nothing... over the top or anything i don't i I never was much of a drinker i think maybe that led a lot to it and i and i i still eat as if i were 17 years old i don't (laughs) i have to do to adult uh, tastes yeah you know to the chagrin of my family but you know it's like hey this Mm. works for me don't bug me leave me alone (laughs) right
1: right right
2: But yeah, no, I haven't uh, done anything crazy to try and maintain this. I guess I have to thank Mm -hmm. my my parents. Although my mother died when she was 60. She was about to get a quadruple bypass. Really? And she never made it to the operation. And, and, you know, she had a massive heart attack Mm -hmm. under anesthesia. And then my father, he made it to, what, uh, 89, 90 or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, he was... Seemed to, And he had a big distrust
1: of doctors. Yeah. <laughs> so he... Uh, that generation, yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah, no, not good.
1: Yeah. No. I'm happy for the genes that I've got. Yeah. My dad's 96. He okay. drank all his life, too. Yeah. So maybe we need to drink more. I don't know. No, you
2: know. I'll have the occasional peppermint schnapps when I'm doing a gig.
1: Well, that sounds good.
2: <laughs> and then by the time I'm off... It's not even on, you know. I'm not even aware of having drunk it anymore. Yeah. You know, it just kind of loosens up the stage show a little bit. But yeah, no, I mean, I, my parents worked in advertising Hmm. as I grew up in the 60s in New York. So that show Mad Men is very much
1: like whatever.
2: Those are the people. (laughs) My mother was the copy director and my stepfather was the art director. You know, martinis flowed freely oh yeah you know all the time yeah, it's like, yeah they were pretty hip back then <laughs> yeah well mm-hmm. as a kid i wasn't real impressed by the way it made them act was, yeah i was just like oh gee yeah yeah
1: and so i think that
2: that kind of was part of why i never really got into it and my friend john john zambetti from the malibus mm-hmm. you know he and i we're very similar in our demeanor about things like that. And so we had a good kind of support system for one another. And in fact, we both started writing songs around the same time. Mm -hmm. And so that was a good kind of, well, let me hear your song. And let me, and then, you know, and so we had a good reason to keep writing and Mm -hmm. an audience who would listen. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, I got a guitar when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And I uh, was in high school, and John said, you know, if you get an electric guitar, you could be in the band. It I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so I got, a, you know, a new 1964 Strat. Oh, wow. Jeez. Do you still have of, it? You no. Know, I'll have a bigger house. But uh, <laughs> no, it, uh, it, it just went from there. And uh, mm. it was fun, and it was this kind of, Semi fantasy world. We talked about mm. the fantasy camp. You know, it's like we thought we were much better than we were. But, <laughs>
3: yeah. You know, and
2: our girlfriends liked it, and then in the school we seemed okay, and you know, and it just kind of went from there. And and once I started writing songs, and that was only like a year and a half after I got the guitar, I I I would get bored doing scales. You know, mm-hmm. to, me too. Yeah. yeah. So, it took yeah, lessons. So like, yeah. hey how about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. This, you know, and then I was inspired. I was inspired by the leader of the pack to write my first song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the Shangri-La song. Shangri-La. Yeah. And, uh, I thought this is such a silly song. I can write a song as good as this. Mm-hmm. So I wrote one of these, it, it was grimly called the teenage morgue. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, it was very <laughs> firmly tongue in cheek, but it was, uh, you know, the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the next 10 were about my high school girlfriend, and then we went on from They're there. always about girls, you know? Well, it has to be, and that's the thing. And then it, it occurred to me, as I'm writing this book, it's like, I think I'm very much akin to the troubadours. Yeah. You know, the Whenever that is, the midi- medieval, or the right. Renaissance, when the, they would sing the ballads of love to the, the ladies, and it was, you know, and I think that's part of it. And I, and I realized that probably I'm more interested in falling in love and mm-hmm. the beginnings of love that i am in the the long term
1: the long term <laughs> when it goes into that's
2: the other fun part, part. <laughs> yeah the well part. i think that's true <laughs> and, you know and so that was that's i think comes across on the on fascination as well i think mm-hmm. you know that that's and that's really what the big uh, revelation was to me meeting her and finding i had these feelings Coming up inside me, because it had been a real long time since I really felt those feelings, right. and I started feeling like a teenager again mm-hmm. in this kind of yeah goofy way. And it was like, you know, and of course, I think it's part of my eagerness of uh, proclaiming my love, which came like on our second date, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, ease off a little bit, Let a little mystery. Yeah. Into it. But no, I was like, ah, here I am, look at me. I thought, how could she not want to be with me? <laughs> you know, after her life and my life and all of it. And well, it's all in those songs, but it's, uh, you yeah. know, it was a great adventure at the time. And I'm really happy that it's become something of an album here. That, uh,
1: you you, you got to trace your heritage way back, because I know you mentioned you always wanted to play flamingo guitar. Yes. So maybe you're related to Don Juan or something. You know, I mean, <laughs> who knows? You got some Spaniard in you. <laughs> As Buddy Holly
2: would say, I'm the modern Don Juan.
1: The modern Don Juan, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. one of his great songs. If, yeah. if you don't know that song, you got to check it out.
1: Well, you're you're very lucky because you have a song that's a mainstay in top 40 history, which is Magnet and Steel. That's hard to do. I mean, every station keeps playing it over and over again and when you hear it it's like you know i'd love that song you know i i can't believe it you know yeah. to, i mean i to, well the
2: the satisfaction i get out of life is the fact that i decided to play guitar without wanting to take lessons mm-hmm. i started to write songs because i just wanted to write songs And so I did this stuff that kind of came intuitively. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously I picked up things from people along the way, but you know, the self-made man kind of thing, I guess. Right, right. And uh, I could, I would never have dreamed that 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 kind of success would happen with that song. I mean, I was. It was just a genuine expression of how I felt at the time, and it uh, very sincere and honest and. And I think it came at a time when the background noise of disco was happening a lot. And so in many ways it stood out because of that, which was to my good fortune. But yeah, no, the fact that it has endured is, uh, you know, quite amazing to me. And, you know, it's not like I haven't tried to put another one out since then. Mm -hmm. In every one of those albums that I've put out since then, I think I've included one song that's either in six, eight, or has that kind of, (laughs) <laughs> you know the magnet vibe. If you like magnet, check that
1: out. Exactly. Yeah, but
2: uh, you you can't. Uh, it's hard to make lightning strike twice. I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's but, a powerful tune, man. You know, as a top forty guy, you know, I I admire it a lot. So it's it's a great song. Oh,
2: well, thanks. I Appreciate. Yeah.
1: I, I I had Michael DeBar on the show several times. He, <laughs> I, I love I Michael. His name on your list whenever. <laughs> It's Does like, he know about your song? Um, no, I'm not <laughs> sure, but I, I can't
2: imagine. <laughs> um, with Pamela now being on board with the promotion. Yeah. But, you want me uh, to send
1: it to him? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, I met him a few times at her place because they're still really good friends. Yeah. Of course, because of their son. Right. You know, they're they're still interacting a lot. And, and she has great respect for him, mm-hmm. you know, much more than I do. But that's the whole other point, <laughs> you know. I'm never as much into what was it, uh, uh, detective, and what was his other band, Silver or something or other. Or, uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm losing it now. Kind of that the Hollywood, yeah, hair music that right, right, right after after my time, and you know, I admire him for what he's accomplished, and you know, and his acting, he's, he's yeah. able to. I've had a career there as well. And so, you know, he's a bit standoffish to me in the time hey. I've encountered him. Huh. Yeah, you know, and I don't know whether that's because he knows, I mean, in those days could was, be, you know, he yeah. knew was, yeah. I was a court in his old woman. Silverhead, that's the name of the band, Silverhead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah, you know, Michael has done well for himself. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I was hoping to go over to England and promote the record. You know, when this whole thing started a year ago, a year and a half ago now, I pitched it to Robert. Robert is the head of Red Steel Music mm-hmm. that, that made this whole thing happen. Um, I, As, you know, England has never really discovered the full extent of my career. Right. And even Magnet and Steel didn't do as well over there as it should have. Mm. I think there's, you know, very very rich ground for exploitation here. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I could be uh, Nick Drake in reverse, so mm-hmm. to speak. Right. To right. Come alive, you know, and it's like uh, to be rediscovered. And then, and then he, and he thought that was a good idea. And, and that's what we began over there. And of course, Some of the things you read in in the promo that uh, they're putting out over here, Mm -hmm. I think were more meant for the audience in England than over here. Mm
3: -hmm. Because
2: as much as I aspired to be part of the Americana catalog and canon with Brooklyn Cowboys, Mm -hmm. it never quite got past my pop rock success Mm and and the image and the perception of me Mm -hmm. as that. Of course, as a songwriter, I think I'm all these different things. I, yeah. you know, I love surf music, and I love the fact that we've right. done it in the Malibu's, and, I, and I, you know, I'll, I yeah. think as a songwriter, I can participate in all these different genres. When I was living in New York in the early '90s, back in my old homestead, as it were, <laughs> I played guitar and sang with a band called Randy and the Rainbows, and Randy and the Rainbows were technically in at least in the joel whitburn book mm-hmm. the last doo back act to crack mm-hmm. the top 10 with denise mm-hmm. you know? and they lived like a mile or so away from where i lived in queens mm. so i got i started playing with them and that was a, to me that was a real thrill because mm-hmm. you know as a kid i loved doo music i mm-hmm. loved that whole sound of the city and, and that and uh you know, so that was fun, and and I've so I've been able to surf music. I've been able to do country, mm-hmm. rock, exactly I to play guitar for Wanda Jackson, the original female rockabilly mm-hmm. rocker who dated Elvis back in the day. Yeah, i've uh, then like six or seven shows with her as one of as her guitar player, and, mm-hmm. and she's a trip. I mean, she's <laughs> uh, she's got to be you know at least five or six years older than me. Maybe, yeah, yeah, you know, maybe a little more
1: first rehearsal
2: i did with her you know i'm just kind of feeling my way through her song making sure i don't make mistakes and she turns around to me and she goes walter you got to rock harder come on it's like <laughs> oh well, all right you know <laughs> so yeah you know that was great and i went to california in 74 telling my mother i'm going out there i'm going to make a record and she's like yeah okay whatever <laughs> Why don't you go to law school and become right. a lawyer? No, no, I'm, I can do this. And so I, I went out there just with Hearts on Fire as my calling card. And um, after being there for a year, I went back to New York, not quite sure. And then I got a call from Jackson Brown to come and play guitar hmm. in his touring band for the Late for the Sky album,
3: mm-hmm.
2: which sounded like a good idea. I always equated Jackson and Joni Mitchell. Right. I was kind of really mm-hmm. able to write great lyrics and write right. really good songs as well, you know, kind of poetic in a sense. And I rehearsed with him for about two and a half months for that tour. It started, he wanted me playing electric rhythm, singing a couple of harmonies. And this was, I have just come out of playing, playing in bands where I was the, the writer and the guitar mm-hmm. player, but I was not the singer. Right. And so I was a little worried about that. Mm -hmm. As it evolved, he wanted me to play acoustic instead of electric, and he wanted to play electric.
3: Mm.
2: He wanted me to sing a whole lot more, and I was just going to go. (laughs) So, you know, when you're insecure about that kind of stuff, right, it's hard to pull it off. Confidence is a big element in making anything work. And so, uh, we both knew it wasn't working, and and then Mm -hmm. kind of before he left, it was like, well, you know, better. Okay, but of course that opened the door for me to get my own deal, which right. you know, went on to, to all we talked about here today. It's uh, it's funny how things go one way or another. Yeah. I mean, you know,
1: do, do you have a good manager? I mean, somebody. I know you got you got Billy that helps you out, but you need people to help you overseas. You know. Well, it's
2: more the overseas people that have been helping yeah. me. Yeah. Help good. Now. Okay. Um, out of red steel, but, but yeah. technically yes. I, you know, I'm still on good terms with my ex manager mm-hmm. and, and I, you know, talk good quite frequently. And so okay. he gives me advice, but technically I don't have a manager at the moment. Um, and that, you know, I'm not sure the egg or the chicken here. It's like,
1: yeah, this, I what you mean. Do I get the manager
2: after the interest or do I get the manager to, Driving interest.
1: Now. How about your ex? She's there now, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. You know, you, don't, you don't have many people that have their wives taking care of them now, as manage manager oh, and doing manager, all the yeah, yeah. PR work and everything. It's amazing.
2: Well, when I did uh, my first few years in a band called Burrito Deluxe, right, which was technically Sneaky Pete's burritos, mm-hmm. by the way. right, uh, they had. Uh, Garth Hudson from the band mm-hmm. as a keyboard player, mm-hmm. but just as I joined that band, Garth left because of his wife,
1: really.
2: <laughs> either not getting along with the management, or you know, oh. yeah, but, uh, that uh, I mean, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't it's know, trying, you know, I'm I mean... <laughs> sure that's a good idea actually at this point, uh, yeah, he's better to. Let me deal with it on my own. But uh, maybe my I, daughter, my daughter is
3: uh, your daughter, would blonde. be good too.
1: Yeah, that's right. She sounds like she's into it. She's into all the. Yeah, yeah, she is. She's uh,
2: very, very smart about yeah. things. How um, old your daughter? I, she's twenty six now. Okay, and her brother is nine years older. They were, they were like kind of bookends to our marriage, as it were and he's living in Brooklyn and he's working as an art restorer. And, you know, and through the years I tried to teach him guitar and, you know, he'd kind of be reluctant about it. And I didn't mm-hmm. want to push it. And, and then, uh, he went to college and then he had a guitar and he came back and it was like, Hey, could you show me how that uh, Lonnie Mac song goes? And it was, mm-hmm. it was like going on a camping trip or something. It was so, it was like a great bonding thing for me now. And now apparently she, he's, um, making music too he's writing music um that he hasn't uh, allowed me to hear <laughs> so you know i mean and i'm i'm you know more power to him i hope because
3: yeah.
2: the thing about music is it's a lifelong companion right i tell that to kids that i'm teaching guitar and it's like even if you never play in front of another person mm-hmm. you've got that for yourself and it's a great yeah. place to go it's a great for me and, and I think part of not taking lessons in high school it was a place of refuge for mm-hmm. me to get away from all of that Sure, Let's do whatever I want with this guitar you know?
1: you know I still think it's a gift that you can play by ear and and not read music and there's yeah. all the great all the legends don't read music yeah you know? inhibits, I think. it's amazing
2: I've played with some amazing players who yeah. needed music and they, when they had the music they were amazing but yeah Improvisation or, or incredible thought—it just
1: didn't work. Yeah, you know? so yeah, I can play some time. by ear, but I get stuck. Yeah. You know, I can—I can't do it. I can't get that part. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, that yeah. Happens, Of course, but then
2: as you kind of do your version of that part, right. It's created into something new, and exactly you think you're playing, you know, a Jerry Garcia riff, and nobody gets it
1: except you. Except you, exactly yeah. right. Go, hey, I've never heard
2: anything like that. Then
3: like, oh,
1: okay. I'm kind of embarrassed, I'm because so, I'm appointing this wrong, you know, and people are going to yeah. notice yeah. it, and yeah, right. I feel exactly. like an idiot. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it?
2: it's like. Yeah, one of the things of being on stage, if you start thinking too much, you get in trouble. Right, right. Better just kind of trust yeah, the, Trust the Zen and let go with it. Exactly. Because you know? so exactly. when if you, you go, wait, did I sing the second line
1: first? Wait, and <laughs> yeah. you know, then Shh, yeah. you're in exactly. yeah. Walter, here's here's your final question. And I asked this question to everyone. I get some interesting answers and we were talking about baseball so it fits right in if you had a field the dreams wish like the movie to perform collaborate with anyone from the past or present who would that be uh,
2: hmm, hmm, hmm. well that's a good question and that, i think on one level i can i can come up with someone more easily on the present than in the past okay um, because I I tend to try to pay attention to some semi modern things, mm-hmm. um, but um, let me think about the past. I don't, you know, I've been very fortunate. I mean, of course, I think it would have been great if Graham Parsons had mm-hmm. lived and yeah. the respect that he seemed to have for my songwriting, right? Before he died, obviously, um, would have. Been something that would have been great to explore mm-hmm. collaborating with him um, but on, on a present day level I mean I I love the work of Lana Del Rey I love that mm-hmm. she does uh, she is fun to, to work with her there's this duo named Tegan and Sarah mm-hmm. out of Canada that I've mm-hmm. been fans of for a number of years that would be fun to work with but you know I don't know whether it's just a defensive mechanism in myself of learning to appreciate what you got Mm -hmm. and what you can go with from that. Right. That or I've just been so fortunate to be able to, to live through a lot of these, you know, semi dreams um, that uh, I I don't have a great bucket list kind of need to uh, think of working with anybody Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, you know, I loved the the Kingston Trio. I loved Dave Guard. You know, the people that that kind of have left have left the planet since yeah. Uh, yeah. since I was a big fan of theirs. Mm-hmm. I think some of that might have been great. I'm, but you know, to go with someone like John Lennon or you know, you know, that would be amazing. But I wonder if it would be too. I would be gawkingly awkward. That would be like I, I, you know. To be able to be yourself on a level eye to eye. And that's, that's why the great stuff with working with Lindsay was because we, I felt like we were very much eye to eye and he understood me and I understood him. Sure. We were able to do that. And and even for that matter with Stevie too. So uh, yeah. uh, I would love to work with those people. I think that'd be great. And, uh, but you know, I'm very fortunate and very lucky Mm -hmm. for the what that I've had. Um, There's a demo that uh, I did with Stevie for one of her songs called The Dealer that has this very weird kind of video on YouTube. Really?
1: I got to check it out.
2: She asked me to sing Mm -hmm. the demo for her. That was before her next boy, uh, Tom Petty, came along to Mm. to do that stuff with her. But uh, yeah, you know. I can't complain.
1: It's time for another duo with Stevie. <laughs> well, that, you know, that could happen. There's, Why not? There are,
2: there are young people that are great too. Yeah. And I mean, in some sense, I guess Lana Del Rey is Lana. Stevie yeah. these days, although she does such a shotgun approach that she put out an album called Honeymoon, I guess, six, seven years ago now. Mm-hmm. And I still love listening to that record. It just kind of all hangs together. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of explicit warnings on it. Mm-hmm. It's just really good. And uh, in our, our subsequent albums, it's been well, I like these songs, but I can do without these songs. Like, it's right. like, she's very prolific and maybe past the point of relevance because so pro- she's so prolific. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know who am I to judge what what anybody should do. But you know, I just I can just react react, react to what I know
1: I like. You know, do you like any of the poppy artists, like say Pink? Um, could, could you see yourself? I, you know,
2: I've got a few of uh, Pink songs on my mm-hmm. iPod. I She's still got a good a, voice. I still have an iPod. Yeah, <laughs> I, I still use yeah. iTunes. Yeah. It bugs me that Apple is trying to make me not use iTunes. I hate the fact that they're trying to push everybody into streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, I have, you know, like 13,000 songs on my iPod. Wow. my iTunes, and, you know, a lot of them are my own. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's perfectly satisfactory to sure. me to do it that way. Why do you want me to have to subscribe to Exactly. Exactly. To somebody else programming right. what I want to hear. So
1: my right, my computer
2: of eleven years froze, you know, four or five months ago. Did it? And I went out immediately and just bought another iMac mm-hmm. of the same, mm-hmm. you know, basically the same model. I was very upset when I got home and there was no CD burner and there was no. They've gone completely to solid state, I guess, in, mm-hmm. the, in the, the guts of the machine. It didn't have enough room for the download you know because i backed up everything yeah had to go out and buy a refurbished one from like you know a few years after the one that i had just yep. put to bed and uh, it had like two terabytes of, of memory which should hold me for a little while but uh, yeah you know it's uh and remember when you didn't have to buy a phone every few years yeah, yeah. it's great when you
1: just had a phone and you didn't I know I sound like an old fart here, but hey, it's the truth. You know, I I was in the electronics business for years. Yeah. And my dad had stores since the, I don't know, late 50s. So I saw the progression of electronics all Mm -hmm. these years and it moved too fast over the last 20 years or so. Yeah. You know, I, I've got I've got videos from the kids that are eight millimeter, VHS, C. I mean, what am I going to do with? It? How am I going to convert all this stuff? You know,
2: you know, and it's the capitalist system. I hate to yeah, say it but exactly. Like, how are we going to make more money tomorrow? Okay, we'll make it yeah. up, so, and then they'll have to buy the new stuff. And it's like, okay, great, but
1: I like the old stuff. Can we? Just me too. Do me too. I like A track. I like Beta. Yeah. <laughs>
2: There you go. Wrong
1: on both uh, cases, you know.
2: <laughs> so, you know, then so I I'm, I'm happy that you like the record because that's really the a celebration of of uh, love the record. obsolete technology. Exactly. Like yeah. In the world, you know, at least in my mind it is. Well, when
1: I want to mention you can purchase the new release by Walter Egan, fascination at amazon.com. You can watch the video for Miss Pamela on YouTube and also watch I'm with the girl on YouTube. Is there any other song on video um, there's three videos from that okay
2: album. yesterday forever and today is okay also- although i think they're they they did not really want the world to know about that for a while but it kind of slipped out okay so, but by the time i'm not sure when this is going to air but uh, you know it's probably going to be available by then
1: okay good it will probably you know it'll probably be both at the same time or right around the same time
2: yeah you know uh, and there's that in the and, of course, there's always the old magnet and steel video where I look like a vampire, according to my <laughs> grandmother. It's like, you know, the, the, uh, the oil the <laughs> and the
1: grease paint or whatever they put on it. Yeah. Walter then, Egan, you can, can visit uh, Com. That's your website. And you're also on Facebook as well. Yeah, um, Walter Lindsay
2: Egan and Walter Egan. I have a couple of pages there. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. Hey, Great. I really appreciate uh, you keeping the music alive here, Ray.
1: Uh, I try, man. I try. You know, I don't. I don't get paid for any of this stuff, but it's it's in my you heart. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it, but, yeah. I mean, I've done a thou- thousands of interviews, and I love what I'm doing. And like you said, I, I try to I keep my favorite music alive. You know, yeah, that's what well, it's all about. Doing what you love is uh, is certainly a payment of some sort. That's everything. that's everything, Walter. You're a great musician, great artist great voice by the way, oh, okay. You. you need to be uh, up front as a singer and not behind just playing guitar that's
3: oh, and
1: that. lots of lots of great things are going to happen for you. I know it, and especially with this album, and I hope to see him in Florida again soon, maybe Ruth oh, yeah.
2: definitely
1: we'll yeah be the- awesome. south Tampa,
2: huh,
1: yeah. I'm south of Tampa, Sarasota. we got a lot of great rockers that live around here. Rick Derringer, um, ACDC lead singer, um, lives here. Um, I think some of the guys from Cheap Trick, Joe Perry. And it's, it's, a, it's a nice area. All right. It's a real nice area. If you want to be a snowbird, man, I'll start looking for you right now.
2: i got some old <laughs> classmates that have been bugging me to come down and visit them down there, too. Oh, the weather's <laughs> great. In Hollywood. Um, I do some gigs down in Hollywood. Hollywood,
1: mm-hmm. Florida yeah. That's uh, where the hard rock, well, is one of the hard rocks.
2: He uh, he has me come down there, and we've been talking about doing something. So maybe uh, maybe we will see each other.
1: That'll be great. Yeah. That'll be wonderful. Thanks, Walter. Really appreciate it, man. You hey, Ray. Godspeed.
2: Take care of yourself.
1: All right, you too. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: Thank you, everybody, for listening to Interviewing the Legends. Brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency. Call 941-877-1552 or visit us at publicityworksagency.com. Specializing in author and music artist publicity plans. We shine when we make you shine. Tune in to Interviewing the Legends every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Pacific Time on BBS Radio Station 1